With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Once again, everyone, this is the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan, uh, catching up today with Pete Bodo. This is the day after Wimbledon, the day after the men's final, at least. Um, wrapping up two weekend matches that, you know, couldn't have been more different in their duration and uh, the dynamics of the match, perhaps. But, you know, both so resonant, I feel, for very different reasons. Um, let's start with the women's final with Patrick Kvitova beating Eugenie Bouchard 6-3-6-0. And to me, it was a performance that was so uh, sublime and impressive that I don't think anybody, um, you could have thrown anybody up against Kvitova there. Current, perhaps even former players, and I don't think Kvitova would have lost this one. It was that um, dominant. Well, I think Sublime could be a little bit of a reach with Kvitova's game because <laughs> it's such a power game. But I know, I know what you mean. It was just a, it was a performance was just really kind of eye opening. Um, and you know, what struck me really was that look, it, only people who were goaded into admitting she's a contender this year would have would have said so. In other words, if you said to somebody, "Who are the contenders at Wimbledon?" It would tick off a number of names. I'm not sure Kvitova would have been among them, unless somebody said, "Well, what about Kvitova?" Oh yeah, sure. Well, she won in 2011. So you know, it just goes to show people had pretty much you know I'm as guilty as anyone of this, maybe more so, pretty much written her off. I mean, he had, she hadn't been to a semi since 2012, and so you sort of think, well, she's good done and so for her to come out and play the way she did to play such an airtight powerful confident persuasive game is just remarkable and you know it reminded us of how much raw talent this woman has which is scary i mean she's as good as serena at her best when it comes to being able to blow somebody off the court or she was on sunday anyway obviously yeah i mean now at this point it's any wimbledon that goes by in the future is going to have that um little caveat that you always will have to include Kvitova in your potential, you know, winners there just for this reason alone of how well, um, you know, how well the court, of course, takes her game there. But, you know, it was more than just her serve. It was, you know, and the serve was really when you compare it to how well she'd returned and just her, her prowess on the ground, which is where, I suspected Bouchard would have, you know, the advantage once the ball was in play and three or four shots were hit. But the problem was that there were hardly any rallies of of three or four shots greater than that. And Kvitova actually won the two biggest rallies of the match, which, you know, that spelled doom for Bouchard right away. 
Uh, it's a very good point. I mean, I think what re- was really, you know, really interesting about this match also is that, look, she took a woman who's really on the upward swing. I mean, and a woman who basically has shown that she's perfectly capable of stepping in there to a big occasion like this and absolutely managing it and, 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 and dominating it, in fact. So, you know, she, you know, Bouchard, you know, it isn't like, you know, you don't look back and say, well, who did she beat? She beat this number 13 seed, Eugenie Bouchard, some girl from Canada. You know, you look back and say, wow, she beat the woman who is not only the hottest player on a tour at Grand Slam events in terms of consistent performance, but really, but, you know, but also, uh, you know, a woman who, who is developing a tremendous reputation as a competitor and someone who's going to come up big when it's most required. So that was, you know, that was really amazing. I, I should amend that and say, I shouldn't say she's the hottest player on the tour, but she was among the two or three players, including Maria Sharapova, of course, and Simona Halep, who, who really have, have really stepped up this year. Well, after you've seen Bouchard now in, in go very deep in three majors here, you know, what do you feel that she actually needs to work on? I think we've, we've praised her a lot and rightfully so. Um, you know, what elements of her game tactically do you see as something she can, you know, she can better herself on? One thing I thought of before this match, um, thinking about the, the match between these two was that Bouchard, you know, just hadn't seen a player of, the serving caliber of Kvitova to this point, and it was, this was a unique case, but um, really, Bouchard now has a lot of experience on these major fronts. She has the center court, um, you know, Wimbledon final to look back on. You know, so what do you think she should do, you know, kind of look at going forward? Well, you know, it's funny. You think back on his match, and I, I don't know what other examples come to mind. There must be a couple, but one that immediately leaps to my mind is Marat Safin destroying Pete Sampras in the U.S. Open final. And it wasn't like Pete was at, I mean, sure, he was closer to the end of his career than the beginning, but the point is, the guy played so well. There's really nothing Sampras or anybody else could do. And Sampras, to his credit, came into the interview room afterwards and said, hey, look, the guy just stopped playing me. The guy played great. What can I say? And that's really kind of what happened here today with, I mean, on Sunday with, with uh, Saturday with Kvitova and Bouchard. Now, I think but there certainly are things. You know, it's funny. I, you know, I sort of keep thinking. You know, Bouchard is kind of like an improved version of Chris Everett in terms of her playing profile and characteristics as a player. And I, one of the things she shares she shares with Chris, unfortunately, is a vulnerability on that second serve, particularly. You know, I mean, there's. You know, I think Kivitova, you know, pretty much went to town and and had her way with that second serve. So. In, in this day and age, when, when these women are serving the way Kivitova is, the way Sharapova is, the way Serena Williams, of course, the pace setter is, you know, it, it's getting harder and harder to survive with a serve that's merely good instead of great. Now, as much as I think we, we can talk about the, uh, you know, these tactics and strategy a lot for this particular match, I think for the men's final of Federer and Djokovic, there was so it, it's so much beyond that. After I think about 35 meetings or so, um, you know, this one their latest. Djokovic wins in five. He uh, loses the first set in a tiebreaker. He actually had two set points in that breaker. Uh, wins sets two and three. Has a championship point in the fourth set. Can't um, convert that one. Goes five and you know. I think pretty remarkably kind of still uh, 
mans up and takes the title, you know, in, in what would have been such a, a crushing defeat considering what happened before the tournament, you know, Djokovic having so many shortcomings just at the end, um, and of course, you know, what happened specifically in this fourth set against Federer. He was up 5-2 also. And, you know, to me, it was a match that um, I, I was glad to see it extend so long because I think so. I think both men had so much to lose. Um, you know, Federer, we, we've talked so often about him having, you know, one, these few chances to get another major. But, you know, with Djokovic, I think it would have been just particularly devastating there. And, um, you know, kind of where do you want to start with this match? I mean, it's another classic, another classic at Wimbledon. And, you know, these guys did well to, to give us four hours. Well, we could start with analysis at one level, which is that I think Djokovic, for, for as much as I admired what Federer did, and this was entirely to Federer's credit, Federer was back on his on his heels in this match, I think. And, you know, there were a lot of, I mean, I, I, I don't remember, I haven't looked at each set result now, but I mean, Federer seemed to always be serving from behind. He yes, always seemed to yeah. be the guy serving at 4-5, serving at 2-3, serving at, you know. So, I mean, I, th- I think for him to be able to, to keep pace there with Djokovic and all those things was a great effort. On the other hand, it also suggested the degree to which Federer was kind of hanging on by by the skin of his teeth. I mean, at one point where I think he hit an ace and Djokovic spoke to the service line and said something about how can we keep showing up where Federer is serving, you know, it was very telling. I mean, Federer had that kind of day at the service line and that kind of day in general. I think he really did a tremendous job hanging in there. I mean, talk, this guy handles pressure better than anybody this guy gets through the most precarious situation you never think oh man look at the guts look at the courage because it's federer because it makes it look easy makes it look simple so i think that was one of the things that struck me about that match that is a little bit deceptive was it it happened that way and of course the converse of that is that djokovic was able despite that being seven-time wimbledon champ roger federer across the net djokovic was able to maintain that lead was able to manage and control the tremendous frustration he just had to feel at all kinds of times in his match that that was a point i think so many people made especially in comparison to the french open final where we saw djokovic really unravel um and you know he really Going into this match with Federer, this wasn't uh, a, by any means a, a really tight performance from Djokovic going on. He really should have been taken five sets by Dimitrov. He he went five with Chilich, so it, it was not uh, you know a flawless run into the final by any means. And I I you know I I think that he certainly uh, kind of realized at many points this match that kind of the rare position that this was in kind of a a really a way to turn the tables and turn a corner on perhaps, you know, an extended stretch of his career that, that seemed to be going one way. Um, you know, one thing I do want to mention about the serve is that Federer took, um, you know, he explained afterwards to, to a lot about how well Djokovic actually served this match. And I thought that was one thing that going in he needed to do very well. I, I, I sort of expected Federer to get a lot um, from the serve, but I think Djokovic did as well. And then, you know, once the points really started to play out, I think, you know, certainly not at the most critical points because Federer seemed to win all of those from the first four sets just about. You know, Djokovic did demonstrate, you know, that movement and that ability to really make something out of every shot. And, you know, I think in the end, that's basically what you can say is what did Federer in. Well, what I think won the match for Djokovic was a service return, frankly, over time. I mean, the way Federer was serving, you look at the ace kind of thing, he had, what, 28 compared to, I think, 8 or, or, or something like that for Djokovic. I mean, I think 
what 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 really carried the day for Djokovic was his ability to consistently return that serve to keep Federer under pressure in those games. He had a lot of break points there, you know, in that in that fourth in that fifth set, I guess. Uh, he was on the verge of breaking, a, you know, a number of times. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, with, with that return, one of the things that struck me about this match was how few. I don't even know. I'm going to write about this tomorrow, but. I don't even know if there's such a thing as a, as a forced error anymore because more and more I keep running down unreturnable. I mean, if a guy is running full stretch and barely gets a top of his frame on the ball, I don't consider that a forced error. I consider that an unreturnable, you know, which is a next best thing to a winner. And there were so many of those in this match. And I think for jo- at Djokovic's end, it all began with that service return. His service returns were really, really sharp. He got Federer back on his heels. And no service game of Federer was, re- you know, other than, you know, unless he was really just clipping lines as he did all day, you know, he, he just he just wasn't safe. Anytime he let up a little bit on that serve, that's how Djokovic got into those points. You know, even in that last game, his ability to you know a game in which Federer made four on four stairs. Even you know the, the key was that Djokovic is hitting back, penetrating, tough returns, that f- wide forehand when he just smacks it back, way cross court all the way to the other corner. Those were really remarkable shots to me. So consistently, you know, game after game, Federer serving. I think the fact that Djokovic was able to step in and take that return, unlike Federer, as you say, who had tr- trouble with his return was really a huge difference um where you know i guess you know where do you see both of these two kind of going from this one you know is it as simple as you know it's kind of the next stop on their uh on the long uh tour that is the game and we go to the u.s open and such or you know really uh, you know is the resonance of this kind of played up a little too much you know what what does i what do you think this result really means for i think both federer and Djokovic, you know, maybe we'll start with Federer kind of as he, uh, you know, sees obviously his best chance since a couple of years ago when we go by and, uh, you know, he'll be 33 at the Open in August. Well, look, it's still a legacy match for him. I mean, people are going to say, people are going to say, in addition to winning 17 or 19 or I mean, however many Grand Slams the guy will end up winning, they will say in addition to that, he, you know, he was party to two of the four of the greatest matches in Wimbledon history, which is really true. And he, you know, he was two and two in those matches, one of them against Djokovic. So, I mean, I think this was a net plus for Federer. Look, at this point in his career, and, and especially given his age and stuff, you know, you get to the final of a of Wimbledon and play a match like that, it's really all good. Yeah, sure, he could have won. And, and he's... He personally will be disappointed that he didn't win. But, you know, all, all in all, you know, this is sure a lot better than going out in the third round to, uh, you know, to Ivo Karlovic or something. So I, I think from in that regard, it's a legacy match for Federer. I think also for Djokovic, particularly, it's it's a meaningful match because now he brings his Grand Slam record to an even 7-7. Seven and seven. He's sort of gotten that monkey of, 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 off his back. Look, if, if he'd lost that match after being up match point, he becomes Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the end of it. I, I mean, saw that uh, a few times, yeah. At least for a while, it's the end of it. So, you know, uh, it was a huge, huge match for him to get himself back on track. Now he gets a chance. I guess he's going to get married in a couple of days. He gets a chance. To, he's going to get married. He's going to regroup, come back and come back in the summer. And we'll see. This guy, I think, by the way, with Djokovic, especially when you look at his record in Grand Slam finalists, this is a guy who likes to keep us on the edge of our seats. He's not a guy who's going to get up there, penetrate, win like he did in 2011, and then stay there until he's knocked off by a better player. You know, he's he's basically going to always sort of flicker around there, it seems, at least for the next couple of it's years. Another, it's another kind of contrast with Nadal, if you want to think, now that you mention that way. you know, that, Absolutely. That's a, you know, that's someone who I think we almost know what we're going to get to expect every time. 
Yes, very much so. With Djokovic, is always going to be, well, how's he feeling? You know, how's marriage affecting him? You know, now he's got a kid. Or what's what's it going to be like that, he, that he's got a kid? Because he's a complicated guy. And I think he's shown, you know, a somewhat ambivalent attitude. Or not a, not an a- attitude, actually, but he... He's sort of shown in some ways that he really isn't at heart a guy who needs to win everything all the time to, to be happy and consider himself complete. I mean, I think I, I wouldn't really say that of Federer or Nadal either particularly, but they're more like that than, than Djokovic is, I think. Well, it's amazing when you say that about Djokovic as someone who doesn't necessarily has to be, I guess, have that drive and hunger that way. And this is a guy who, sound, who looks like could end up with double-digit major titles when all is said and done. It's... Uh, that's, I, I think, one of the most fascinating things about him is really these surges that we've seen. I think this is kind of what you were getting at a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like a whirlwind, um, you know, when he comes to play and when he has when he has his best game, it's really, um, you know, really just something to watch. And uh, I guess we'll kind of see where he goes from here because I know last year at this time, this is when Djokovic actually turned it around and pretty much won everything in sight as well. So... That is, um, you know, the next stop, of course, and uh, I don't know though. That's 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 a reach to me because I think now with you know, is if I'm reading the reports correctly, he's getting married, right? And you know, yeah, and you know, it, and I should say it was really from post U.S. Open last year. I should mention, and, and we're not talking, of course, about the same caliber of events as a Grand Slam, of course, but I think the prevailing thing is that this should free up Djokovic a lot. But like you say, it, it may not be as cut and dry as that. Yeah, he may just uh, look. I think the guys, you know, breathe a huge sigh of relief in addition to being remarkably happy after this one. Now he's getting married. He already he knocked off this thing about you know winning one for his wife. He's already knocked that off at Wimbledon as he dedicated the win to her, basically, as as well as his departed coach. And and now, so you know, so I think after he gets married, it's going to be time for him to have a leisurely summer. I'm not expecting huge things from him this summer for for those very reasons. A guy I think is probably due for a little bit of a break, and I have. feeling he's going to take it okay. not, not literally he'll be he'll be there in, in body if not in mind yes well said um we will uh we'll have kind of wrap ups on the rest of wimbledon this week just to kind of let you know from pete uh from steve as well um really kind of put a bow i think on the whole summer stretch a little bit of a gauntlet and uh after that we'll uh i think everybody will get some much needed r&r to some degree here so um Plenty more on Tennis.com, and we'll see you next time at the podcast here. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.